thankful that you're here. I'm glad to be back from PTP from last week and always enjoy being there. As a matter of fact, polishing the pulpit has been one of the great blessings in my life. I've been blessed to be a part of it since the very inception. And three of us guys were sitting around doing sermon outlines and other folks decided that they wanted to join in be a part of it. And we never dreamed at that time, so many years ago, a young 30-year-old preacher, that so many people would want to be a part of it. And this year we had a little over 4,700 people who decided to come together. And we had folks from almost every state in the United States and several different foreign countries who actually came to be a part of polishing the pulpit this year. As we think about polishing the pulpit, one of the things over the past several years that we have chosen to do is to have the tagline, Refresh, Renew, and Recharge. That's one of the things that we seek to do at polishing the pulpit. We think that's one of the things that helps people to want to come back year after year. You know, we get that little boost in life. We, We try to refresh. And, you know, you may think that going to something like that is, is really a, a vacation, but all you got to do is ask Eddie Bull. He went and volunteered this year and went out a couple of times out to where he was working and looked to see how he was doing. There was sweat pouring down off the top of his head, you know, and so he was working pretty hard back there. And all of the folks who volunteer, all of the workers, you know, it's not a, an easy task to pull off something like that. And even though every year I, I leave bone tired, you know, it's, it's, it's really exhausting to be around all of that. Even though I leave bone tired, I still feel refreshed, renewed, and recharged. You say, well, Mark, why are you talking about that today? Why is it that you want to mention something like that in our own Bible study or Bible uh, worship this morning? Why do you want to talk about being renewed, refreshed, renewed, and recharge. Well, here's the reason. There's a real condition called burnout. It's something that affects a lot of different people. When we think about burnout, it's defined by Merriam-Webster in the on, online edition, something like this. It's exhaustion of physical or emotional strength or motivation, usually as a result of prolonged stress or frustration. All of us know what burnout is. We know that you go on and on and on and on, and finally you get to that point that there is almost a breaking point. You're ready to give up. You're just so tired that you really can't go any farther, or at least that's what we imagine in our own mind. When we think about that real condition called burnout, psychologists have a lot to say about it in our day and time. There are a number of symptoms that are part of it, I won't give you all of the symptoms that I found in one issue of psychology today, but here are a few of the symptoms, and you may recognize some of these in your own life. Chronic fatigue, insomnia, you're as tired as you can be, but you can't sleep. Anxiety, depression, anger, loss of enjoyment. You don't enjoy your job, you don't enjoy other things as well. Pessimism, irritability, and even lack of productivity. You keep going strong, you keep working hard, but you never seem to get anywhere. When we start thinking about burnout, who gets burnout? Well, there are a number of people who get burnout. 
You know, business executives, they get burnt out from working so hard in their own businesses that they keep a rigid schedule, and sometimes that goes on for years and years and years, and they get burned out. Students get burned out, don't you? You're ready to go back to school at the beginning of the school year, but before that nine months is over, you get burned out doing all the homework and all of the assignments that you have been given. Marriages can suffer from burnout as well. Husbands and wives can grow slowly uh, apart. They can have a marriage that becomes stale and, and boring throughout the years. Preachers can get burnt out. You know, in 1991, the Lilly Foundation spent $5 million studying preacher burnout. That's amazing, you know, to, to think that you could spend that much money thinking about something like that. But as you look at it, students, preacher students, will come out of school and as they have just graduated and they're ready to win the world. But throughout the work that is done through the years of preaching, throughout all of the, the fighting the battle of the administrative duties and the visitation and the study and preparing of lessons and all of the things that go into it, sometimes preachers get burnt out. I ran across this a number of years ago, and I think it's pretty well accurate. You know, when you start thinking about preachers, somebody said that the average sermon consists of something around 5,000 words. The average preacher preaches some 90 sermons per year. The average novel is somewhere around 50,000 words. But when you're thinking about a preacher preaching 90 sermons per year, which average about 5,000 words per sermon, you're looking at 450,000 words or about nine full-length novels every year that a preacher is expected to produce. And that doesn't even count the other hundred or so Bible classes that preachers are called on to use, to, 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 to uh, teach. And so you can see that it can be quite difficult in studying that. Preachers get burnt out. Not only do preachers get burnt out, dedicated Christians can suffer from burnout. You see, it's not just talking about what preachers, what happens to preachers. It's what happens to everyone who serves the Lord. The dedicated Christians, those who have given their life in service to the Lord. After years of faithfully serving the Lord, I have seen people, known people who have just dropped out. And this morning, you yourself may be feeling some of the symptoms of burnout. What about the assemblies? Have they become less exciting to you? Not that, that we need to have some kind of, uh, uh, of emotional thing that pumps us up with cheerleaders and everything when we come together. We've come together to worship God. But we get less and less excited about doing that as time goes on. Uh, do, you, do you really not get excited about teaching and doing other things that are good works of the church? And sometimes people will have to, maybe the elders will have to ask you and then ask you again and then beg you. You know, and you really still don't get too excited about doing any of that work. You just get burned out. 
And you become less and less active in church activities. You know, sometimes you look around and you see the same folks at the different activities, and we understand some who cannot be at, at different ones after dark and things of that nature. We, we fully understand that. There's some who have just completely dropped out. If you want to see them, you see them on Sunday morning. And that's about the only time you'll ever see them. That's about the only time you'll ever hear anything out of them. It may be that sometimes people who are in that condition are suffering from spiritual burnout. We need to think about it. We need to talk about it. So how can we as Christians beat the burden of burnout? Find ourselves regularly refreshed, renewed, and recharged. Now, I could tell you this morning, you know, I could put in a plug for polishing the pulpit and say, all right, next year it's in August again, and we'd love for you to come. But that would not solve the other 51 weeks, would it? That wouldn't help us from this point forward to go from today until next year at this time, would it? We need something else that will help us to refresh, renew, and recharge as Christians. And so this morning, in the time that we have remaining, I want to share with you a couple of things that, that I have observed from polishing the pulpit. I keep mentioning that this morning, but it's fresh on my mind. I want to share with you a couple of things that I've observed from polishing the pulpit that really seem to help a lot of folks who attend that particular event each year. Here's number one. You know, it may be that we need to regain our sense of awe over God's Word. We look at God's Word and we come to understand what it truly is and what it should mean to us. In the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, chapter 17 at verse 22, the wise man writes these words. He says, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. As I look at that passage, I ask myself the question, what is a crushed spirit? The word that's translated crushed there in that passage literally means to be broken, to be beaten. Or in one passage in particular, it means grieving as one who has been unmercifully beaten. And so when we're thinking about burnout, isn't that what it truly is? Our spirit, our inward part has been broken, if you will. It's been crushed. It, it needs some renewal. It needs some, some refreshing. We feel as though perhaps we have, in a figurative sense, been unmercifully beaten in our life. The wise man writes and says, there's such a thing as that burnout, that crushed spirit. But it also says, and it's interesting how he chooses to describe it. He said it becomes like dry bones, or it dries up the bones. Well, what does it mean when he speaks about the dry bones? Bones to become dry uh, have to be outside or part of a dead body. There's no life in it. If it's dead, if the body is dead, there's nothing to nourish the body, and so the bones, they'll just dry up. Now, if you were paying attention to the Bible reading this morning from Ezekiel chapter 37, Dax, when he read that, read about a valley of dry bones. 
He read about how God sent Ezekiel out or actually carried him out to the place where there was a bunch of dried bones in that uh, valley. He said it was covered. There were so many there. And he looked out across that valley of dry bones. Uh, It represented death. Now, if we were to go and study that passage in its context, we'd understand that what God is teaching Ezekiel has to do with the nation of Judah. And how that they would be able to return from captivity. And how God would raise them up again and bring them back and would eventually through them be able to bring the Messiah into the world. And so we could spend a lot of time dealing with that and talking about it. But I want us simply to observe this morning in the time that we have together... I want you to see how it was that God refreshed, renewed, and recharged those dead bones. Did you catch it when Dax was reading for us this morning from Ezekiel chapter 37, beginning at verse 1? He spoke about how it was full of dry bones and how they were very dry. But down in verse number 3, or 4 rather, he said to Ezekiel, prophesy over these bones. And here's what you're to say, Ezekiel. O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. How was it that God was going to bring those dry bones back to life? He said, hear the word of the Lord. Now, Dak stopped reading in verse number 6. That's what I put for him to read. But I want you to look at verse number 7 beginning. In Ezekiel 37, beginning at verse number 7, there Ezekiel tells us, So I prophesied. You see, Ezekiel said, I'm doing what God told me to do. I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and I beheld and there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them. There was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain and that, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. You see, God brought the dry bones back to life through his word. The very word of God commanded the dead, dry, very dry bones to be able to come back together. Now we know that when God created the heavens and the earth, He spoke and they came into being. When He created man, He took some dirt and formed him into a man and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. We know God has creative power, but He has the power to refresh, renew, and recharge as well. And so we need to gain an awe of God's Word all over Again, I want you to think about something. Almost 2,000 years ago, an innocent man was executed for crimes he did not commit. But I want you to note this morning, as you think about that, 
That that is an important event. But why? Why is it important? You see, Jesus was not executed because of what He did, but because of what I did. As you write that, you're writing about yourself this morning. It's not just because of what Mark has done, but it's because of what you have done. And you know, as you read in the Word of God, you find passages such as the one in 1 Peter chapter 2 at verse 24, which was on the screen this morning during the Lord's Supper. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Look at that verse again, get the awe that's found in it. He himself bore our sins, that we through his wounds might be healed. Or you might turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 at verse number 18. There Peter writes and says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. You see, Christ being the righteous one for the unrighteous, that's you and me. He did that for us. What about in Romans chapter 5 at verse number 8? The Bible says, But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. May I ask you this morning, don't you recall that message that changed your life whenever it was, perhaps a few years ago or maybe just a few weeks ago? I want you to think about that message of Jesus Christ dying for you. It's not that He died, He did. It's not just that He died on a cross. He did. But the only reason He was on that cross was for me. Each one of us here this morning makes that statement. You see, Christ didn't die for what He did. He died for what I did. Who else has done that for you? Or anything Close to that. The message of God's Word ought to inspire all in us. And every time we read it, it ought to touch our heart. Down to the very core. Do you remember what the Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 2 verse 37? When Peter preached on that first Pentecost day, that Jesus Christ had been executed because of the sins of the people, they were pricked in their heart. It cut them all the way down to the quick, to the living part. We need to renew our awe for the message of the gospel. If I ever forget that, if I ever let that cool off in my mind, I will begin to become stale and burned out. But thankfully the Lord has sought to remind us every single week. Now we can partake of this Lord's Supper as taking a piece of cracker and some grape juice and tolerating it until it's passed around and everyone is served. 
or we can put our mind where the Lord wants us to put our mind on the fact that Jesus Christ died for me. And it will mean something to us. And I want to leave and I want to do my work for Him and serve Him because of what He's done for me. You see, we need to renew our awe over the Word of God. Let me mention this, not to develop it, but the awe that we're to have for the Word of God exceeds even the fact that Jesus Christ died for us. I want you to understand today, there's not one problem that we face today that God's Word doesn't have an answer for. There's not one trial we face today that God's Word hasn't spoken about, at least in principle. There's not one heartache which uh, it does not address to give comfort to us. There's not one glimmer of hope offered that our existence is more than this life except in God's Word. What else? What else? What other book can do all of that for us? When we learn that, when we, when we grasp that, when we regain the awe that we have for the Word of God, it will refresh, renew, and recharge us in our own life. Jeremiah said, back in Jeremiah 15 at verse number 16, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. You see, when Jeremiah was reminded of the Word of God, what it truly was, what it meant, and he just had the Old Testament. The first part of it, by the way. When God let him find that as well as the other people, he said, I digested it. I took it in. I filled myself up with it. And it became a joy to my heart. Maybe we need to be filling ourselves up with that awesome Word of God. And I will guarantee you when we do, like Jeremiah of old, we will be refreshed, renewed, and recharged. But then not only that, this morning, if we want to refresh, renew, and recharge... We need to understand that we can draw strength from other Christians. Draw strength from other Christians. You know, it was so easy last week to live as a Christian while we were at PTP. Spent the week with almost 5,000 different people. Not all there at one time. Some came in later. Some had to leave earlier. But some, almost 5,000. Now, that's one side of the auditorium. That's the other side of the auditorium on the Sunday morning worship. And it was so full, we had to open up the ballrooms. And I didn't even get to sit in that room. I sat in the ballroom, which was filled to capacity as well. You know, all of those people who were there, who had the same goal, who had the same desire, who wanted to do what God wants, it was so easy to be encouraged to do what was good and what's right. But when many people began to be discouraged, you know what the first thing they do is? They began to draw away from the church. 
they began to draw away from God's people, from the very ones who can encourage and help, and turn to friends who are outside the Lord's church, so that they become even more discouraged. You know, I can tell when someone's in danger of burnout just by their actions. That doesn't mean that I'm smarter than anyone or have any more power and mind than anyone. But by observing people when they're least in the mood for being around other Christians and seeing that that's when they are most in need of being with them and understanding that they're drawing away, pulling themselves away from others, you know that they're suffering from something. All of us would expect to quote Hebrews chapter 10 at verse 25 at this point. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. That would be a good verse. That's not what I want to speak about for the next minute or two. You see, it's found in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. There the writer of Hebrews says in that passage, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Now watch verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see, Christians are to exhort one another every single day. When I mention the words peer pressure, What's the first thing that pops into your mind? When I say peer pressure to things such as uh, uh, drinking and smoking and joining gangs and being sexually active and other things that sometimes affect teenagers, is that what comes into your mind? Perhaps it is. But I want you to understand this morning that not all peer pressure is bad. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews commends a type of peer pressure among Christians. It's to exhort one another. That word means to call to one side. The idea is to speak or to address a person on some matter. You see, we are to be there for one another, to call to your side. Some Bible examples are found in Acts chapter 2 at verse 40. With many other words, he testified and exhorted, there's our word, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. There, the apostle Peter and the other apostles are exhorting, standing, if you will, beside those, teaching them and helping them and encouraging them to do what was right. In the book of Acts chapter 11, at verse 23, when he, speaking about Barnabas, came to Antioch, and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them that with all purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. He encouraged, that's the word we're talking about. That word translated exhort in other places. To do what? Continue in the Lord. Titus chapter 2 at verse 6, exhort young men to be sober-minded. Chapter two, verse, uh, Titus 2 verse number 9, exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters. Jude 1, or, or verse 3 in the book of Jude, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. 
Over and over in the passages that we find in God's Word, we are to come beside others. To stand beside them, if you will, not necessarily in a physical sense, but to be there for them, to encourage. To go forward, to get up and fight another round. To get up and go another mile. To continue running the race. It's so easy when so many Christians who love one another are together. God has given us that built-in encouragement system to encourage and be there for one another. We're duty-bound, though, to heed words of exhortation. Hebrews 13, verse 22 says, I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in a few words. You know, what that means simply is this. We don't get bent all out of shape and tell somebody to mind their own business when they're seeking to encourage us to do good and right to help us get to heaven. But so many times that's what happens because we don't want to hear it. Really and truly getting each other to heaven is our business. Isn't it? Getting each other to heaven is what it's really all about. If we, if we fail at that Can someone please tell me this morning what we've accomplished? If we fail to get that done, what good have we done down here? If we fed every single hungry person in the world and let their soul be lost eternally, what would we have accomplished? If we clothed every person in the world with fine clothes, and let them be lost, what would we have accomplished? What in the world would we have accomplished if every single disease was healed here on this earth? And the one whose body had been cured loses his soul. What would we have accomplished? If one member of this congregation loses his or her soul. What a great loss. What a tragic, terrible, horrible loss. And it may be that one or more loses their soul, but it shouldn't be, ever should it be said, that it was because we didn't encourage and exhort our brothers and sisters in Christ. Getting each other to heaven is our business. You know, the Bible is filled with stories of people who were ready to give up. I could talk to you this morning about Elijah. I could talk to you about Jeremiah. Jeremiah said, I was ready to quit preaching. I was going to give up. But God's Word, you see, it was burning down in my heart. And I couldn't contain it. I just had to go back and preach it some more. People were willing to give up. But then they were encouraged. Folks, we serve an awesome God today. His Word can build us up and give us that inheritance. We have that built-in support group. 
who wants to go to heaven and wants us to go to heaven more than anything else in the world. So I'm asking you this morning, would you resolve with me to be a better refresher, a renewer, and an encourager, recharger, an encourager? Would you do that? As we think about our own life, it may be this morning that we need to be the one who is refreshed, renewed, and recharged. We may need to have that awe of God's Word instilled within ourselves again to understand that we need that and we need those who are around us to draw the strength that we can from others. It may be this morning that we've never begun our Christian life and we want to do that, to be a part of that great group who one day will hear well done, good and faithful servant. That's the case. We'd love to assist you with your obedience today. If you need to come this morning and make something that is amiss in your life right, we'd love to pray with you and for you. You'll never respond alone. Not here. If you need to do that. But if not, would you resolve today for the people who are sitting in front of you, behind you, and beside you, Would you resolve to be a better refresher, renewer, and recharger? And not just to the ones here in this this building, but to those who are outside this building. 